Thanks for joining us on this week's episode, where we discuss season one of the podcast and make predictions for the 95th Academy Awards. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. Let's find out if the Oscars got it wrong. What's this season one you speak of? So we've decided to split this podcast up into seasons to give everyone a little bit of a break. (laughs) We thought this was a good time to do it right around the upcoming to current Academy Awards, depending on where you are in this series. So what we're going to do is this episode will be our stats, the things we've been tracking through season one. We'll talk a little bit about our own experience with all these films. And then we are going to make predictions at the end. We'll see if if we've accrued any knowledge that is going to help us predict what's going to win Best Picture at the Mm -hmm. 95th Academy Awards. And then we will release two more episodes, which will be our 2022 film. So again, this Academy Awards, our normal bracket setup, and then we are going to take a short release break. And that will be the end of season one. Very exciting. I know everyone could use a break from us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, let's just dive into these stats. I had fun putting this together. I think it was interesting to take a look back and and see what we've been tracking and if we've learned anything about ourselves, about the Academy. (laughs) Yes, this is really going to be about what we've learned about ourselves. When you look at what we have done, it's really quite an accomplishment over the course of the last year. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's start with that. Let's get a little bit into just some raw numbers about the, the year of podcast. So, so far, we have done 18 out of what is going to be, very soon, 95 Academy Awards. That's about Mm -hmm. 19%. So we're about a fifth of the way through. Yay! Only four more years of this. (laughs) Approximately. In that time, we've watched a total of 152 films, 107 of which were nominees. 152 films is a lot of films. We've been in about a... Three a week clip for the last year. I think we said in our trailer, right? One of the goals of this podcast was to get us to watch more good movies. And it feels like we are at a minimum accomplishing that goal. Yes. We've watched more good movies and we've watched more bad movies. We've just watched more (laughs) movies in general. It's true. And how's the spread been? It's been fascinatingly even. As we described when we started this podcast, the way that we decided to do our order of years was to just use a random number generator, make the whole thing completely random, take it out of our hands, and then we don't have to worry about, you know, not bunching things together that shouldn't be together. Mm -hmm. And we've ended up in a place where it's been almost perfectly even. We've done every decade of Academy Awards other than the 1920s, but there are only a couple of years there, and then the 2020s, but we'll be doing that next week or two two weeks from now so and then we every other decade we've hit basically two of the years there's the 1940s we only got one of the years the 1980s we got three but every other decade we've done two years yeah randomness pretty cool (laughs) randomness it works okay do we think the oscars generally get it wrong it's been kind of an interesting spread. From what we have decided, the Oscars get it wrong almost half the time. That's <laughs> where we've ended up. Seven of the times we said they did not get it wrong. Eight of the times we said they did get it wrong. And then three times it was sort of in this middle space where yeah. we were 
we either disagreed about it or we were like, eh, it didn't really get it wrong, but kind of got it wrong. Like we didn't hate the movie that won, but we liked this other one better or something like that. Right. So I think two of those years are 70s years where they were just incredibly strong nominees across the board. And we were like, yeah, yeah, kind of. But who can be mad about? Yeah, can't be mad that it won. But then this other one was even better, which is a good problem to have. But when they've gotten it wrong, sometimes they've really gotten it wrong. We are moving into a category we're calling our wrongest winners. The wrongest winners. Yeah, we have a few good ones for this. We'll just go in chronological order, Mm -hmm. I guess, because that makes the most sense. So in 1933, which was a year we overall really enjoyed, I think. It was a surprisingly strong year for us. But unfortunately, the winner that year was Cavalcade, which I believe was our least favorite of the many movies that were nominated that year, which if you'd randomly chosen one, they would have done a better job. But here we are with Cavalcade. The two that we loved that year the most were I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang and Lady for a Day. But honestly, there was a lot of good stuff. Just pick something other than Cavalcade. Pretty bad. The next year with one of our wrongest winners was 1939, where they selected Gone with the Wind. And as always, we have to acknowledge special effects, yada, yada, yada. But The Wizard Very of Oz important film, blah, was blah, blah, right blah. there, you guys. It was yeah, right there. The fact that they didn't see The Wizard of Oz coming as like a thing that would stand the test of time, I don't know. Then in 1956, jumping forward a little bit, the winner was Around the World in 80 Days, which it wasn't like the worst thing of all time, but it was again a year when pretty much any of the other nominees would have been a better pick. Yeah. So it's weird when they do something like that, where they pick the one movie they shouldn't pick. How does this end up happening? Do they just get torn between all the really good things? And then they're like, around the world in 80 days. Everything else split the vote. And they were just like, yeah. this is what we're left with. I don't know. And then the last one is something that we said should have won, but it's Titanic and we're still mad about it and we hate it. And even though we acknowledge that I guess it was the movie of the year, whatever. It sucks. Well, I think this is an indictment of not just the Academy Awards, but Hollywood as a whole, because what are you doing in 1997 that even the two of us who hate Titanic have decided that I guess it was the movie of the year and deserve to win Best Picture? Make better movies. Do better 1997 (laughs) Now, the other side of this coin in terms of wrongest nominees, this is kind of the wrongest non-nominees. These are the worst movies that they missed that should have been nominated. Yes. Deservedly nominated and yet nothing. The first one came in our second episode and maybe if we'd been a little further in the podcast we would have advocated for it a little bit more than mm-hmm. we did but it was 9 to 5 which we both loved. Yep. Insightful commentary on women in the workplace and to learn that only a couple years later they nominated Tootsie. It really put into perspective that they, they could have thrown a 9 to 5 in there. Yeah, man. Nine to five is great. Totally holds up. Wonderful writing, wonderful acting. And it's it's doing the same thing as Tootsie, but way better. So come on, people. Then this is maybe like one of the most scandalous misses in the history of the Academy Awards in 1989. Do the right thing. Not being nominated. That is... That's rough, Academy. That's a bad look. And then for it to be the same year that Driving Miss Daisy won, it's just... Wow. Yeah. Sort yourself out. Yeah. Yikes. Then we get further in the future, 2007, Zodiac. 
guys. Oh, I love Zodiac. it. Come and on. there's a clear spot, I think, in 2007 because Michael Clayton was nominated that year. Get rid of it. Put in yeah. Zodiac. <laughs> no one since 2007 has spent a minute talking about Michael Clayton. <laughs> that one disappeared yeah. into the ether immediately. Then we have 2014, a year of many great movies, as you will know if you listen to our episodes where we insanely expanded our bracket <laughs> to be 16 movies. And we should remind the listener, a year where there could have been 10 nominees, but there were only there eight. There were only eight. What are we doing? So if there could be 10 and we could stick in two more, hey, maybe those two more should be Nightcrawler and Snowpiercer. Yeah. Gosh, what good movies. They made it deep into our brackets. During the same year, and this is sort of a subcategory of Worst Miss Nominees, these are a couple of movies that were nominated for everything else and not Best Picture. So the first one is Foxcatcher, also from 2014. Got a lot of big mm-hmm. nominations, and they yep. were just like, nah. Yeah. How does that happen where it gets a bunch of acting nominations and like director and writing, and then they just forget about it for Best Picture? It's bizarre. Very strange. And also in this category is They Shoot Horses, Don't They? from 1969. Another one with tons of nominations. No Best Picture nomination. I think it still holds the record for a movie with most nominations and no Best Picture nomination. It's bizarre. What do people do? Forget to check the box on their ballot? I don't understand. Really strange. So yeah, that's that's where we are in terms of our, our worst winners, worst nominees. Let's move into the things we track at the end of the podcast, the things we come back to. So the yes. first thing that we're always talking about is our angry white guys. Mm-hmm. I think we've begun to understand that it is a more recent phenomenon, the sort of prototypical Travis Bickle yes, angry I think white guy. When you think about this type of angry white guy, you're thinking about... A 1970s angry white guy, usually. And it is interesting that we started our podcast with (laughs) Taxi Driver. And so that sort of kicked off the like, this is the type of angry white guy we're looking for. But we were intrigued to find that the phenomenon does go back a little further Mm -hmm. than you would expect. The earliest of this type of angry white guy is what? Yes, the earliest one that we've seen so far is Paul Newman in The Hustler. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a toxically masculine man. (laughs) One of the movies where he slaps a woman across the face. Don't do that. What Paul Newman is known for, even though we didn't know that that's what he was known for. Also, a thing that we track from year to year is biopics. Something that going into this podcast, I think we thought were extremely common Best Picture nominees and have maybe turned out to be a little less common than we thought. Yes, if I had been asked to predict how many, in terms of percentage, biopics we'd watch, I think I would have overestimated. It's 11%. It's, you know, it's still not an insubstantial proportion of the films we've watched, but every time we run into a biopic, it's just so, (laughs) it feels like a trial. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they feel overrepresented in our memories. Yes. Which may be due to the fact that, you know, this is going to get fleshed out. And one of the things we haven't been able to do so far, because we've been so all over the place, is see if there's any trends by decades, really. But there Mm -hmm. does seem to be an uptick of biopics in the 1980s and then again in recent years. So maybe it's just our lifetime. There's just been too many biopics. Yeah. So we're like, this is a problem. So maybe that means that it won't always be this way. Biopics can go away again. They'll go out of of fashion. Fingers crossed. It doesn't feel like 
doesn't feel like that's happening anytime soon, but no. maybe. Another thing we track all the time is original ideas because there's this conversation about modern day media and the idea that like nobody has any original ideas anymore. Everything is a remake or a sequel or a blah, blah, blah. So we've been tracking that. It's kind of an interesting one to track because you have to decide in your mind what an original idea is. Mm-hmm. And we have really been calling everything original that isn't based on a specific piece of other IP. Yes. Which means that we've ended up in a place where Gandhi and Selma and Titanic, we have called original ideas, even though they are based on real life things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you have to take that into account. But maybe there are fewer unoriginal ideas than people think. Maybe there are more. What's the answer? Yeah. So... I think, again, we haven't seen a clear pattern develop over the time, but we're clocking it at 29% original ideas and 71% adapted ideas for all the years we've done with the mode. So the most common (laughs) type of year being 20% original ideas and 80% adapted ideas. So at least, again, in prestige filmmaking, the majority of films are not original ideas. They're based on books. They're based on plays. They're based on biographies, whatever else. And I think what's interesting is that according to what we've seen, which is a pretty good spread over the years, it's kind of always been that way, right? It's not a new phenomenon that things are adapted. Not at all. So it's maybe a wrong narrative. Maybe. I think it truly is a narrative that has sprung entirely from like superhero blockbusters. I think that's (laughs) that's all that's happened. That's all that people are mad about. Sort of, well, speaking, I guess, of superhero blockbusters, that's a nice Mm -hmm. transition in itself, of also this conversation about in recent years that the the Academy doesn't nominate things that people are watching, right? I think that's tied into the idea that viewership has dropped for the Academy Awards. Everyone's Mm -hmm. like, no one's heard of any of these films. And we do see that a little bit. So with the exception again of the 1980s and recent years, the winner was frequently in the top five at the box office. So it's a question, I guess, of whether tastes are changing. So people maybe in the past would have gone to see the movies that get nominated now and aren't or the academy is just off on their own path <laughs> yeah well and i i think it's hard to ignore the fact that the options available to people has ballooned yes. in recent years in previous decades there would sort of only be a couple of movies for you to go see and so you're going to go see them because those are the options and for a long time if you wanted to see a movie you had to go to the theater to see it exactly so um, it is interesting that it feels like, yeah, the the very recent winners have not been blockbuster hits. But also I think tied up in that, which is interesting, is how that pairs with the expanded number of nominees. Like mm-hmm. when they decided to make there be more nominees for Best Picture at the Oscars, it was intentionally with the idea in mind of leaving space for more popular movies. <laughs> that sort of was the idea behind it. And I don't know that that has become the reality it doesn't feel like all of a sudden they're now nominating tons and tons of popular movies they have mostly made space for even more indies that no one has heard of yeah although this year i mean we will get to it a little bit different which is interesting Mm -hmm. so those are sort of the general trends we've been tracking we've also been tracking a couple specific people uh the first would be our beloved steven spielberg our beloved we, uh, I think when we watched the first of his movies that we watched, which was maybe, I can't remember if it was Jaws or E.T., we decided yeah, to see much. if we were the Academy, how many Academy Awards would Steven Spielberg have? 
And <laughs> no respect at the Academy. It took him so long to get his Academy Award. And it's so silly. to date, we have watched three Steven Spielberg films, mm-hmm. Jaws, E.T., and Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And we would have Steven, at this point, have three Academy Awards. <laughs> three more that he actually has. Yeah. yeah. So best director for E.T. and best picture for Jaws and E.T. And we only didn't give him the best director for Jaws because we were worried it would derail his career. Yeah, we didn't want to send the wrong message. He already was getting a pretty big head with the Jaws because that's yeah. the year that he threw the party for the <laughs> for the nominations or whatever and was devastated when he wasn't nominated. But yeah, he's doing pretty well. And I can say from my knowledge of his coming movies... I think his his number is going to grow as yep. this podcast goes on. Yep, yep, yep. We also have been tracking another favorite of ours, Jake Gyllenhaal mm-hmm. over in Jake Gyllenhaal Corner. So this sprang kind of specifically from the idea of us being mad that he wasn't nominated for Nightcrawler. So unsurprisingly, in our minds, he did win for her. <laughs> he, he, I think he was actually just nominated for Nightcrawler. What? Because isn't that the year... Did he win for Nightcrawler? He wins for Nightcrawler. Yeah. That's the year that Eddie Redmayne won. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. He wins in our heart for Mm -hmm. Nightcrawler. And then we would have given him other nominations for Zodiac, obviously Nightcrawler, and End of Watch. Yeah. So he's doing better in our fictional mind reality than he really is. Right. What a surprise. Man should have an Oscar for Nightcrawler specifically, but we'll see if anything else comes up. (laughs) He should have an Oscar. Maybe someday. And then the last, but perhaps most important thing that we're tracking, this really came organically from the podcast, from seeing some things and being like, is this a pattern? What is going on? And that is horse deaths, not the deaths of horses. No. But deaths inflicted by horses. (laughs) (laughs) Inflicted by horses. And even more specific than that, these deaths are typically... Children killed by horses that were given to them by their parents. Yes. As a way of punishing the parent character. Correct. So we see this in Gone with the Wind, where Scarlett O'Hara's daughter dies falling off her pony. Mm-hmm. Barry Lyndon, similarly, the kid runs off. He rides a horse he's not supposed to, but was given to him. He falls off and breaks his neck and dies. Yep. And then interestingly, perhaps most interestingly, yes, there is a death in the film Seabiscuit, where a kid is killed in a car accident, but it's clearly a metaphor for a horse. <laughs> yeah, it's a symbolic horse death because in the movie Seabiscuit, the, you know, cars are horses. Yes. <laughs> it's been set up very specifically. They keep the cars in the stable. The car has been basically given as a gift to the child. The child rides the car slash horse when he is not supposed to. <laughs> And he dies punishing the father. It is a symbolic horse death. Indeed. We also have a couple of additional horse deaths or accidents that are critical. So we thought we'd throw this in there. In Cavalcade, a set of horses that are pulling a fire carriage run over a drunk man and kill him. And then in Dark Victory, there's also a horse accident, which sets the plot in motion for that. Yeah, she never would have known about that brain tumor were it not for the horse accident. Too true. So we will continue to see if horses kill children. I think my favorite thing about this is learning of the existence of a symbolic horse death, because I will tell you that is exactly what it is 
in Seabiscuit. I mean, again, the randomness, I think, really worked out for us. Because I think if we'd watched Seabiscuit first and these other two films at some other times, we never would have put it together. But we no. saw Gone with the Wind, we saw Barry Lyndon, and then at the beginning of Seabiscuit, you're like, this is this is the same scene as in those two movies. This is a horse death. It's a horse death. <laughs> Oh, okay. Thank God for this podcast. So those are the overall things we're tracking. But that brings us to our more subjective experience of what we've watched, our ratings. And we'll go through a little bit of it. And I'm going to play a little bit of a game with Maddie where I ask her to guess at some of the differences in our ratings or, or what we've done so far. And where we find out that I have no memory of anything I've done for the last year and <laughs> yeah. completely forgotten everything we've watched. So Good we'll luck. see what happens. Maybe you'll do yeah. better than you think. Maybe. I would say overall, we're like just looking at it almost at a normal distribution. It does look that way. Yeah. Most of the films we've watched, we've given three, three and a half stars. There's a bit of a peak at five, which is nice. You would hope for that, to be honest. You'd hope that the movies you're watching for a best picture podcast are better than average. I really would. (laughs) Yep. Um, And then, yeah, there's a little... A little tail at the end of with the one and 1.5. Our overall average, so if you take, and this is just for the nominees that we've watched. This doesn't include mm-hmm. the non-nominees. If you take every film we've watched, my ratings, your ratings, and put them together, we're at a 3.38. Do you feel like that's good for movies nominated for Best Picture? <sighs> Not really. <laughs> You'd hope to at least be in the fours, but I mean... I don't know. Maybe there are just aren't that many movies that are fours and fives. Like most movies are twos, two and a halfs. And then most movies for this are three and a halfs, which is better than average. And then there aren't that many great ones. Perhaps. Now you have a slightly higher average rating and these numbers are weird at first glance. I had to stare at those for a little while. I'd be like, what's going on? So my overall average rating for all the films is 3.25. And mm-hmm. yours is 3.39 and our shared That's is 3.38. Very close to the average. <laughs> but I realized what has happened is most of our most of the things we disagree about, we're only half a star apart. And the way that we do our ratings, if I give something a three and you give something a 3.5 and letterbox, we round up to a 3.5. Yeah, so we've we're been always giving things the benefit of the doubt. We're always pretty much rounding up. And I think that's why it's so much closer to your overall average rating than mine. So Interesting you say that about the fours. There is only one year for one of us where the films have on average a four and there are no years higher than that. And that is one of your years. What year do you think you gave the films an average of a four rating? I think it has to be one of the years in the 70s. When I look back at this podcast and I think about like the golden years that we have done, to me, it has to be... 76 or 75 those are the ones we've done right Mm -hmm. because i just remember my experience with both of those years being four great movies and then one less good movie (laughs) which feels like that could lead to a great score but i don't know which one i would guess take a stab man 76 correct hell the first year we did (laughs) And all down it's been all downhill from there. So, I also gave that year one of my higher ratings, a 3.8. So that is our best year. Our second best year so far was 1994. I gave that one an average 3.8. You gave it yeah, a 3.8. Yeah, the 90s are good. I'm excited to do more years in the 90s. Yes. So those were our best years so far. Our most average year. So this is a this is a year where my average rating is a 3. Your average rating is a 3. Surprisingly, our combined average rating is a 3. And... 
lowest standard deviation of 0.35. So the difference between how we rated the individual films, very low. Oh, boy. Who can remember the most average something? (laughs) What year did we watch all the movies and go, those are all okay? It was kind of like the 50s, maybe. The 50s had an okay vibe to me. Jeez. I feel like from what I remember... We liked 56 more than 53, if I'm remembering which years those are correctly. (laughs) I can tell you, 53 was the from here to eternity year. 56 was around the world in a day. In 80 days? Sorry, I I constantly do that. That's the name of a Prince album. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah, I think we liked the around the world year more because we liked every movie other than around the world more than that one. So I don't know, maybe 53 is average or maybe it's below average, but that's what's calling out to me. 1953. I'm sorry to say that is incorrect. The year is 1989. Oh, you're right. Now that you mention it, we were like, all of these are fine. (laughs) And they missed you the right thing. Yes. Okay. So that was our most average year. Now, this brings us to our worst year where I gave the films an average rating of 2.4. And you gave the films an average rating of (laughs) 2.5. Oh, man. That's real bad. Gosh. When did we really not like things? I mean, several things are calling out to me. Like, 1997, since we decided our least favorite movie was the best movie of the year. (laughs) That was a rough time. I mean, there is, as I mentioned, 1953, because I don't think we liked any of those movies. Uh, What else is there? 1944, we hated going my way, but I don't remember what the other nominees are. We like the 30s. Oh, how about, what about 1961? I feel like we only liked West Side Story. But the 53, is 53 the year with the robe? Yep. I got to go with 53. Something has to be 53. You're right. It's 1953. We hated it. <laughs> it was bad. That was, was the year, year that I think we gave it or no, that was the from here to attorney year. So Julius yeah. Caesar was also okay, but everything else was. Yeah. I thought nice. from here to eternity and Julius Caesar were both okay. Yeah. And everything else was bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's only one other year where you have uh, an average that's less than three, and that was 1933, just under with a 2.95. Okay. And then there's two years where I have an average of less than three in addition to 53, and that's 2003, which I have a 2.8, and 1997, which I have a 2.4. Now, interestingly, there were only three times that the winner of Best Picture was our highest rated film for the year. Mm Mm-hmm. The first Ordinary People, which one best it. picture, and we gave five stars. You gave it five stars, I gave it five stars, average five stars. Hell yeah. The next was Forrest Gump, which was from 1994. We both gave it four and a half stars, although it's tied with Quiz Show, because I gave it a five. Quiz Show a five, and you gave it a four. But Forrest Gump, four and a half stars. And then the last mm-hmm. is 2003's Lord of the Rings Return of the King, which is really me pulling up the average on this one. Because <laughs> I think I gave it a five and you gave it a 3.5 or a 4.5. Mm-hmm. So, by contrast, how many times would you guess? So, this is just a, a number. The winner yeah. of Best Picture was our lowest rated film 
of the year. Well, I've already talked about several times when I feel like this must have happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Cavalcade and Going My Way, maybe, and Around the World in 80 Days. I feel like there's got to be some other instance of this. Maybe I'll say four. Very close. It's five. <laughs> wow. So you got a number of them. Cavalcade is one. Uh-huh. 33. 1939, Gone with the Wind. Hmm. Hell yeah. 1944, Going My Way. 1956, Around the World in 80 Days. And then 89, Driving Miss Daisy was our lowest rated oh, film yeah. that year also. So again, I don't know if it's great that five years, the best picture was our least favorite movie of the year. But it's not great. Here we are. That's like a quarter of the years we've done. What have we done? 19? Yeah. That's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Okay, so now let's get into places where we disagree, right? We often agree, but not always. Of the 107 nominees we've watched, we have given them the same rating 56 times, so 52% of the time, and disagreed 51 times, or 48% of the time. I've rated 18 movies higher than you. You've rated 33 movies higher than me. You like more stuff than I do. But most of these films, so 38 of the 51, the difference in our ratings is half a star. So it's pretty marginal, which means not everything can be Lord of the Rings. It's true. (laughs) That means there are 13 films that we've watched that have a greater than half a star difference in our rating. Of those, you gave a higher rating 10 out of the 13 times. And I've given a higher rating three out of those 13 times. What do mm-hmm. you think the three films are that I like substantially more than you that have been nominated for Best Picture? I think it's well, possible you'll get two of them. And I think one of them. We've already talked about two of them. Yeah. And one of them's going to be a surprise, you think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the two we've already talked about are Lord of the Rings and. Wait, this is all nominees, not winners, right? Yes, all nominees. So then we have, because Quiz Show, we already said you gave a five and I gave a four. Yes. So it's Quiz Show and Lord of the Rings. Uh huh. What do you think the third film is? <laughs> More than half a star. I mean, the thing that I'm that's coming to mind is Around the World in 80 Days, because you were like, it's fine. And I was like, I did not like it, but I don't remember what we rated them. All right. Is that your guess? Yeah. I'm sorry, it's incorrect. The film is 1933, Smiling Through. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not a huge surprise, though okay. I probably wouldn't have thought of it. I do remember you liking it a lot more than me. Yeah. Okay, that leads us to another little factoid about our differences. There are only two films that we've watched that have a two-star difference. That's pretty serious. So again, most of them have a star, one star, one half stars. Two stars, pretty big, pretty, pretty yeah. big stretch. Do you have any thoughts about what those two films that we most disagree on are? I mean, they have to be things that I liked more than you. That's true. Two star difference. That's really hard. What are things that I like that much more than you? Hmm. There probably was a difference... With Loss in Translation, because you despised that movie. I don't remember if it was two stars that you hated. I don't know. I feel like I remember things we like more than I remember the things we hated. Unless we hate them together. If we hate them together, then it's a bonding experience. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know the answer to this one. Well, you did get one of them right. Loss in Translation is one of them. The other is Raging Bull. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So... Of the 18 years we've done, our overall average rating was the same four times. So my opinion, all the films, your opinion, all the films average. Mm -hmm. You had a higher rating. This will be unsurprising given the other stats 11 times. 
I had a higher average rating for the year three times. I'm going to ask you to guess the year with the biggest difference in our average rating, which is 0.6 stars. I'm going to go... Oh, that's tough. I mean, it has to be something where we had big difference. So it's probably going to be either the Lord of the Rings year or the Lost in Translation year or <laughs> the, well, the Lord of the Rings year, year and the Lost in Translation year is the same year. Oh, well, then it has to be the, lo- the lo- Lord of the Rings year and Lost in Translation year. You're going to guess 2003? Yeah. All right. It's 1997. Oh, very mm. interesting. What did we rate so differently in 1997? I think we just consistently, like you were almost consistently a half a star to a star. Oh, that makes me. sense. And also I hate it as good as it gets from that year. That's that true. That would have changed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right, 1997. All right. Well, thanks for playing my game. I think you did very well. You thought you were going to get I, any of these. I, If you had asked me beforehand if I felt like I had a good handle on the specifics of everything we'd done over the course of the year, I would have said definitely not. You did great. I remember some of it. Yay. Good memory <laughs> test for me. Sort of the next thing we want to talk about, something that we've been doing in the background is ranking the best picture winners so we have our best best picture winner so far and our worst best picture winner so far i think given what we've talked about this isn't going to surprise people yes so we have done this ranking of our best best picture to worst best picture and i think interestingly kind of matches up with how we have rated them which is not how we did it we just did it by vibe yeah (laughs) we've ended up with unsurprisingly, given our ratings, Ordinary People at number one, which is the only Best Picture winner that we have both given a five. I don't know how to feel about that. (laughs) I don't understand how that's possible, but here we are. It's true. Although a number of them do have four and a half stars, which is good. Very good. But our worst Best Picture winner to date, Cavalcade. Yep. It's it's not good, people. I I like it's it's just not a good movie. Why? Why? It's bad. And don't again, watch it. Pick anything else that year. Truly. Anything else. But yeah, we have ended up, interestingly, with our five on top, all of our four and a halves, our four, some three and a halves. Like, it's a crazy good yeah. distribution. I guess this just means that we agree with ourselves. <laughs> we haven't changed our minds since yes. we rated them. But I am looking forward to the day. Not that I'm wishing ill on ordinary people, but I'm looking forward to the day when something unseats Ordinary people. It's got to be out there. It's going to be exciting because, yeah, that was our second year. It's been sitting at the top for Mm -hmm. a while. Yeah. A long damn time. And again, fascinating, right? Because we did not have high hopes for that movie, and it is usually considered one of the worst Best Picture winners. It's good, guys. That shows what people know. Honestly. (laughs) All right. So those are our ratings. We also want to get into a bit more of, I guess, a qualitative (laughs) discussion about our experience with the podcast so far okay you know as we move forward we've gotten some distance with some of the films we've watched are there things that have stuck with us more than we expected or just in general Mm -hmm. what would you say are the top movies you've watched because of this podcast that you had not seen before this is one of my favorite things about this podcast is obviously we came into it with the idea of becoming more film literate and watching things that everybody says you're supposed to watch But that is what it is. Some things you're supposed to watch are only okay. But what is good about the podcast is we've watched a bunch of things we 
hadn't watched or maybe never would have watched without the podcast. And that is what I want to talk about first are the things that I have loved because of this podcast. So from our first week mm-hmm. <laughs> and something that is still one of my very favorite things that we watched because of this podcast network. I love network yeah. really speaks to me. What a great movie. Just as good as everyone says it is, but it's kind of crazy that I hadn't watched it before, but I'm super happy that I had. And then Ordinary People, which we were both shocked we loved so much that it has to be mentioned. It's wonderful. And then there are some interesting sort of political ones that I really loved. So Judgment at Nuremberg, fucking great. Probably never would have watched that. Like, I'm not going to sit down and watch some three hour dry, you know, historical drama thing without any sort of reason. And I think still the standard bearer of can a three hour movie be compelling throughout. So every time we watch one of these long movies, it's like you could do it. It is possible, but seems to not be necessary most of the time. Yeah. Most of the time it's like this could have been shorter. Did you need three hours? Probably not. Get a better editor. And then continuing with the political movies, both Costa Gavras movies we've watched, Missing and Z, both great. And just generally learning that Costa Gavras exists <laughs> because of this podcast has been wonderful. And another one of those, I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. Great movie. I was saying to you yesterday, I still really want someone to make the 2023 I'm a Fugitive from a Chain Gang movie. Yeah. It needs to exist. It's a wonderful movie. It was super effective at the time changing the chain gang system. And we absolutely need another one for today. Mm -hmm. More fun than that. Nine to five. So glad I watched that. Same story with They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Who could have seen that coming? What a wild freaking movie that is. Honestly. (laughs) But it's great. I think it's probably the best Great Depression movie I've ever seen. It's just such an interesting take on it. Not at all the angle that you would expect. I loved Dog Day Afternoon. Very happy I watched that. Honestly, now that I'm looking at my list, a lot of these are kind of political. (laughs) That isn't a surprise to me. And then Friendly Persuasion. I loved. What a surprise war movie. That's another sort of interesting take on a war movie. A different angle in on a movie that you've seen a lot of things in the genre before. But what about you? My list is very similar, and there's definitely some things on your list that I appreciate. Like, I didn't love Friendly Persuasion as much as you did, but I loved Anthony Perkins in it. He's so good. Poor Anthony Perkins should have had a better career. He really should have. Similarly, I have Network on my list. Such a sharp satire. We've watched a Mm -hmm. number of satires, and again, I think in my mind, I'm like, if you're not Network Sharp, like... What are you doing? What are you doing? Tightening <laughs> but up. Not everybody can have a Patty Chayefsky script. It's true. Ordinary people on the list. Said it before. Say it again. We'll keep saying it. Just really bottom of the barrel expectations. And that's the only movie, and I was going to mention this later, but it's the only movie that we've watched for the podcast that I've rewatched since we yeah. watched it. Judgment at Nuremberg. Same thing. Was I going to sit down and watch a three-hour long movie from 1961 for fun? I wasn't going to do it, but it's great. No. So happy to know who Costa Gavras is. Looking forward to seeing more of his films at some point. I'm a fugitive from a chain gang. Again, the likelihood that I was going to sit down. It's not long, but a movie from 1933. Was I just going to pull that up? <laughs> Probably no, not. I don't. I think the 1933 ones, we were not likely to have seen any of those movies yes. were it not for this podcast. But yeah, really good. And the ending of that movie. Oh, It'll stick with you. They did it. Also, if they shoot horses, don't they? On my list. Loved it. 
tight, just perfect microcosm of everything. Super well done. Super well shot. Loved it. You didn't watch this, but I finally got around to watching John Carpenter's The Thing. I'm a John Carpenter fan and it's great. It's also really tight and small and perfect and tense. And finally, you had seen Do the Right Thing before, which I think is why it's not on your list, but I had not. Right. And I really appreciated the opportunity to watch it's that It's so movie. good. What a great movie. Spike Lee killed mm-hmm. it. Okay. Well, that's the highs. The good things, the happy memories from the podcast. We got to talk about some lows. There's a specific genre of movie that has been kind of a nemesis of ours. We've been wrestling with it. We've been struggling with it. We've been trying our best, I think. We've been trying perhaps a little too hard. So let's talk about Westerns. Yes, we've named the section. We keep watching Westerns and maybe we should stop. Yes. So we have watched what we have characterized as Westerns in the West, usually of a particular era, usually with similar type characters. There's one in here that's more of a neo-Western, but Westerns we've watched seven times. Mm -hmm. Four of those seven were nominated, but three of the seven we just watched out of the goodness of our own hearts. (laughs) Yes. And that is where the problem lies. So talk about what the nominees were and what the non-nominees were. So the nominees, the Western nominees that we watch, and obviously we will continue to watch any Western that's nominated, have been Stagecoach, Shane, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and No Country for Old Men. And it's been a bit of a mix, but we really like Stagecoach. It's problematic, but damn, it's well-structured. But as a movie... (laughs) Very well made. Yeah. We like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I would say we even loved Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah. It's an all-time great. No Country Old Men, you don't really love. I think I liked it more than you. And then Shane, we both disliked. But the point is, if the Academy vets these Westerns, yeah, sometimes they're right and they're good. And, you know, that's fine. We'll keep watching those. Absolutely. What has happened when we, again, as you said, watch these other Westerns out of the goodness of our heart because, you know, they're culturally important, people tell us. Mm -hmm. Well, not anything good, really. We watched (laughs) The Wild Bunch from 1969, The Searchers from 1956, and The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford from 2007. And not a one of these movies has been rated higher than 2.5 by us. We didn't like them. People told us they were very important. People told us that they were revisionist Westerns, that you got to see them to understand the genre. They weren't good. (laughs) I think The Wild Bunch I thought was interesting, but not enjoyable. You didn't find it to be really interesting or enjoyable. (laughs) The Searchers, we both hated, and I'm actually kind of surprised that we have somehow rated it (laughs) 2.5. I believe that's just because it's beautifully shot. It's the the John Ford shooting from interiors to those beautiful exteriors, and that's like 1.5 stars. That was very attractive. The the plot of the movie? One, maybe. Plot, characters, no thank you. How John Ford shoots the West? Yes. Gorgeous. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford is a movie that you and I both had wanted to watch since yeah. it came out. We'd heard such good things about it. The cast is great. It's got a ton of awesome Some people Some people in claim it. it's the best movie of that year, which is insane because that year's 2007. Yeah, which is a great year. But it was bad. <laughs> it was like not a well-made movie. I don't understand <laughs> what people are seeing in this movie i i don't think it looks great i don't think that the 
plot or the writing is good. There's this bizarre stuff going on where it sort of breaks into like Ken Burnsy documentary style stuff inexplicably. It's a weird goddamn movie. And then the scene at the end. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, at times it's laughably bad. And I will say, as much as I did not enjoy the experience of watching it, I am kind of glad I saw that end scene because it's the goofiest thing I've ever seen. And I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, the end is so bad, it's funny. So that part was nice. But it's bizarre. And I absolutely don't understand the hold that this movie has on people. Why are people saying that it is the best movie of the year? I don't get it. It was silly. Yeah. But when they when they shoot Brad Pitt, it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's amazing. Love that scene. If you can watch just the last scene, do it. Because the, the assassination part was funny. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what we are learning from this, and perhaps we need to make a pact from this moment on, that we stop watching non-nominee westerns. I don't think there's any reason for us to do it. I think if some non-nominee western is so good that people make a huge stink about how amazingly good it is, and they won't stop badgering us about it, maybe someday we'll watch it. But other than that, like, why are we doing this to ourselves? I think there's going to be one exception, and that gets to something that we're hoping to do moving forward, which is watching more international films. I think we probably are going to watch a Leone. We got to watch a Spaghetti Western. Yes. But other than that, yes. Yeah. Just generally, we're not going to do our usual research on a year, find out what the other good movies are, see something that says it's a very important piece of cinema, a revisionist Western, blah, 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 and watch it. We're not going to do it. Mm -mm. We got to stop. Yeah. I don't think it's fun for anyone. If you you like Westerns, you can enjoy us talking about it. No. And you're just sitting there thinking, they don't get it at all. (laughs) They're not understanding the beauty of the themes and blah, blah. Yeah, we're not. We're not understanding the beauty of the themes. We're just having a bad time. Yeah. So we'll move along (laughs) (laughs) to our next category of things we are calling, well, this was unexpected. What are the Mm -hmm. most surprising movies we've watched for the podcast? One of the most surprising movies I've ever watched in my life because of the preconceived notions that I had about it going in, not matching up at all to the movie, was Sophie's Choice. When we watched Sophie's Choice, (laughs) I went into it with a couple of things I knew about the movie, and those things I knew about the movie were correct. Yes. (laughs) But they were also not at all what the movie was about. I was like, this is a movie about a woman in a concentration camp who is forced to choose between her children which one of them will die. Probably a war movie. It's about Nazis. It's going to be this heroin concentration camp experience. That's like 10 minutes of the movie. (laughs) The rest of the movie is this weird, fascinating, polyamorous love story between Meryl Streep and a Southern Peter McNichol and a schizophrenic Kevin Klein. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's so much happening that was never explained to me. I didn't even know Peter McNichol and Kevin Klein were in this movie. <laughs> Same. I don't understand how this movie has become this like cultural touchstone to the point where people who have never seen the movie and don't know anything about the movie will say, oh, that's a real Sophie's choice when they have a difficult decision. And somehow we don't know anything about what's going on. The rest of it has been obliterated from the cultural consciousness, which is interesting too, because like 
Kevin Klein is really good in the movie. He's awesome. I think he's just as good as Meryl Streep in it. He's wonderful. In his film debut. Yeah. So why don't we know he's in it? Because he's excellent. I mean, it's a weird movie, but he's really good in it. (laughs) Yeah. It's what a fascinating experience this was. I was shocked by the whole thing. Yeah. From the first line of Call the movie me through Stingo. to the end. Stingo. You're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Stingo and who are you? It was so strange. What a strange freaking movie. Yes. Also, there were a couple of other, yeah. Also unexpected for us was Duck Soup. We've heard of the Marx Brothers. They're very famous. We know who they are. This movie was overwhelming. If you don't have an idea how it's going to be structured, which is barely. Yeah. If you're looking for structure and some kind of narrative, you're not going to find it. Yeah. It's just total chaos, Duck Soup. Musical bits. No character motivations made sense. There's good stuff in it. There is. There's some great physical comedy. There's some funny one-liners, but you just have to prepare for a tsunami of crazy comedy to wash over you in a way that is not linear or yes you know making any sort of sense really i think i described it to you as it feels like an episode of animaniacs where yep. if you go into a film particularly an older film and you don't expect animaniacs it's a little jarring yeah but but that's probably because animaniacs are based on them yeah fair enough and then another one that was unexpected for us was they shoot horses don't they both because we didn't really know anything about it and it was great, but also because it has one of the most effective twists that I've ever experienced in a movie. It's like yeah. M. Night Shyamalan who? <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't feel like a movie that's going to have a twist. No. And we talked about this on that episode, but you start the movie with a flashback of the main, who we think is the main male character. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the movie, you are seeing images from a different time. And I think because you're primed and just because of how movies work and because we don't know a lot about the main character and the flashbacks are about him in jail, you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, what's this guy's past? What was he in trouble for? Is he on the run? What's going on with him? Come to find out, they are flash (laughs) forwards because at the end of the movie, he shoots Jane Fonda in the head. Yep. She asked him to. She did. And they shoot horses. Don't they? Don't they? So yeah, you're seeing flash forwards. I mean, it was a wonderful, wonderful twist. What a great movie. That and I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang have two of the more chilling endings of anything we've watched. We're just like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to stick with (laughs) you. Okay, so those were our big surprises. Fun stuff. I guess we have to talk about, if we're going to talk about the best movies we've watched, we've got to talk about the worst movies that we've watched for this podcast. Yeah. Unfortunately, there have been some real some stinkers. stinkers. <laughs> the crown that we are giving to the worst movie we've watched, not only I think the worst movie we watched, but the worst made movie we've watched. Which is shocking because we've watched some pretty early movies where they were still inventing filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. But even they could get real babies for their film. That's, we're, of course, talking about American Sniper. <laughs> Yeah, I hate this movie so much for so many reasons. It is horribly made. It is horribly written. It is a bad story. It is bad characters. It is disrespectful to make Bradley Cooper act with that fake baby. 
And it also is bad for America. The political message of this movie is horrifyingly terrible. (laughs) And it's bad. I'm angry about it. I was angry when I watched it when it came out. And I was angry again when I watched it for a second time. Now, that's not the only movie we've given one star to. Yes, true. So these are also pretty bad. The first is The Robe from 1953, a biblical epic that gives nothing to you if you are not already a devout Christian. Yeah. And then interestingly enough, another Iraq War film, Zero Dark Thirty, which we did very recently, and kind of has some similar problems to American Sniper. It is better made. There are yeah, no I don't think themes. you watch it and think, well, did an amateur make this? <laughs> <laughs> but I really don't think that the, the plot works. And again, that's one where you yeah. watch and you're like, so what are you trying to say? There are Torture no is good? I don't like, what is the point of this? No yeah. in that film. No, we didn't give this one star. And I guess we were in a good mood when we rated it. But we also want to note that we hate Mystic River. It's bad. And there are two Clint Eastwood movies on this list of the worst movies we watched. So what does that say? Interesting. (laughs) Those were all nominees, no, to be fair. So we also have an award for the the worst movie we've voluntarily watched. It's been mentioned before. Yep. It is The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. You can see all of our thoughts from five minutes ago, but it was bad. Yeah. By and large, we've enjoyed the extra movies we've watched, but... Well, a lot of the extra movies we've watched... We watched because one of us had already seen and liked <laughs> it's it. It's true. It's very true. But not always. You know, 9 no. to 5 was an extra and neither of us had seen uh, it. And it's great. Genius. Yep. Sometimes things end up in the cultural zeitgeist and it's right and it's true. And mm-hmm. sometimes things are the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which I maintain still has an awesome title. But that's the best thing about it. Yep. It's a great title. Okay. So are there any movies that we have watched for this podcast that you find yourself still thinking about? Stuff that stuck with you more than you expected, or I guess stuff that stuck with you less than you expected that you want to revisit or that you've continued thinking about. Yeah, there's definitely a few films where I'm like, I wouldn't mind rewatching it and thinking about it more and maybe it'd get bumped up or whatever. Giant is one of them. I, in that year, sort of hedged on what I thought should have won Best Picture, but Giant was flawed, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in it. And the more I live with it, the more I really like James Dean's performance. He's so good. There's a reason people love James Dean. Yeah. I just I was just constantly thinking about the scene where he gets really drunk and then falls off the stage. It's it's a lot of fun. He's great. He's great in all of the scenes. And I even loved when they aged him up to be like middle-aged, even though he's a child, basically. It works. Yep, yep, yep. And the scene, I mean, I liked all the scenes. The scene where he has tea with Liz Taylor, the scene where he finds oil and then runs up to the house and is covered in oil. Oh my God, that's such a good scene. Oh my God. And Rock Hudson is great and Liz Taylor is great. Liz Taylor is great. She's a little uneven. I have thought more about No Country for Old Men and I wonder if I revisit it, if I would like it more. I think the choice to not show the violence in that scene is really interesting and that's kind of stuck in my brain. And so I, I might want to revisit that at some point not for the podcast necessarily i'm not going to make you rewatch it but i'll tell you right now i'm not rewatching i'm not going to try to make you (laughs) and then i also gave there will be blood i think four and a half stars but it's also stuck with me more i think about that movie all the time i might bump that up to a five star if i if i revisit i'm telling you it's good those performances are pretty special it's a it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. And I quote it all the time. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just wandering around my apartment. I'm like, this is my son. H.W. <laughs> <laughs> Plainview. <laughs> it's a family business. Oh, man. It's a good time. God, he's good. 
And then the last thing I, you know, we taxi driver was in our first episode. I didn't love the movie. I did mention in the podcast that I loved the soundtrack. I listened to that soundtrack all the time. That's great. At just least you some, got something out of that movie that you didn't enjoy. I'm at work just playing the taxi driver soundtrack. It's always weird when I get to the track that is Travis Bickle talking about how he's going to clean up the crime and the filth and the scum. And you're like, should I be listening to this at work? Is this good for my headspace at work? Not I'm sure. That. Oh, well. Great soundtrack. What about you? Yeah. Okay. We've already talked about a lot of this stuff, so I'll breeze through. Network, I think about all the time. I've mentioned, I think, on this podcast before that I work in the entertainment industry and I feel like I think about it constantly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, Costa Gavras. I can't wait to watch more Costa Gavras stuff. We've got to revisit him at some point. I want to watch all the Costa Gavras movies. And then I can I can never move past They Shoot Horses, don't they? I think that's one of the best. Like I, I feel like it's in a similar space to me as a critique of capitalism as Parasite or something. It's mm-hmm. one of those things where the layers of it unravel themselves in such an intricate and delicate, perfect way where every little thing that happens, you're like, oh my, and that's telling me this about like current society. It's just genius. It's a great movie. I loved They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Yeah. So again, just so weird. Nominated for so many things. Best picture? No. Don't need it. Yeah. What's going on over there? Crazy. All right. Well, I think that's all we wanted to talk about with our experience for season one. I've appreciated mm-hmm. it. Yes, we've watched some things we didn't like, but man, there's been some great discoveries along the way. Truly. Thank God we've done this, even though we've suffered through some of it. Yes. So we'll see if that has taught us anything about what the Academy likes, what makes the best picture as we roll into what our predictions are for mm-hmm. this year's Academy Awards, the films of 2022. I guess we should read out what they all are. Yes, because we got a lot of nominees. Yep, it's a 10 nominee year. The nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. Well, 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 so much to choose from. Indeed. And as we referenced earlier, there are a couple of movies in here that are blockbuster movies, not necessarily... I mean, at least one of them was also critically acclaimed for whatever reason. But there are a couple of of big, popular, you know, billion dollar movies on this list. Yeah. So that's interesting for the Academy to come back to nominating big pictures in terms mm-hmm. of box office. Also, like, I think people have said this is one of the first years that sequels have been nominated. And there are two sequels. Well, and, and this has led to a really interesting discussion. There are two sequels in here, but there mm-hmm. also is a discussion in the Best Adapted Screenplay category this year because they have nominated both Top Gun, Maverick, and the Avatar? screenplay for... No, oh, for Glass, Glass Onion. Glass okay. Onion, Thank goodness. which are both sequels, and they... Well, I mean, Top Gun doesn't belong in there either, but that's a conversation <laughs> for the next episode. <laughs> but they're in a- Adapted Screenplay, even though the movies are not adapted they're just sequels and so everyone was like wait this is a shock to learn that just because something is a sequel that means it's an adapted screenplay glass onion is barely a sequel yeah it just has benoit blanc in it it's based on characters from another movie i guess is the reasoning Hmm. it's weird interesting everyone in in hollywood was shocked to learn that that's what an adapted screenplay (laughs) what's an original idea I don't know. So I don't know if the way to do this is to just pick one or if it's worth talking through. Like some of these probably still have a better chance than some other ones. Yeah, I would say, 
What's well, really know. in the conversation? Well, there's a few things in the conversation. The odds makers have three of them mm-hmm. as the likely choices for the winner. So those would be in the order that they have them. Everything ever all, all at once. The Banshees of Inisherin and the Fablemans, I would say, are the ones with the best odds mm-hmm. of winning, whatever that means to you. So from what you have learned doing this podcast, and I guess just whatever you're taking in from the conversation about these movies... Does any of them seem to you to be the most likely winner? You know, it's interesting because everything ever all at once has scope. Mm-hmm. The Academy loves scope. They do. But it is also an unusual nominee, right? Like it's an action movie, which is not something that's usually nominated for Best Picture. It's sci-fi. It's kind of comedy. It's pretty genre. There's a lot going on. It's very genre. <laughs> very genre. Banshees is a more grounded drama. Mm-hmm. Fablemans is a very sweet movie. And it's also about movies, That's which true. Hollywood loves. They do. They do. I do hope everything ever all at once wins. I think it will. I think it's going to win. I think there's a lot going on. It's not just the like Hollywood loves scope, Hollywood loves this conversation. I think you can't separate it from the ongoing Oscars so white mm-hmm. conversation. I think Hollywood loves the idea of getting to vote for everything everywhere, a movie with an all Asian cast. I think that's really going to appeal to them. I think there's something just sort of it had like this moment. It really it, you did. know, it was really talked about for so long. It took Hollywood by complete surprise and I think it feels like the type of movie that they're going to be congratulating themselves for voting for. And <laughs> so they should. And they should. Not to give away our discussion for the next two episodes. No, I mean, yeah, there's plenty to talk about with all of these movies. But I do have this, I have a feeling that everything everywhere is going to win. But we'll see. We'll see if we're right. I hope you're right. I don't know. Anything could happen. I mean, it feels like one of those years where everything everywhere could sweep every award or shockingly win none and then win Best Picture. Like, I, (laughs) truly anything could happen. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So, what are we talking about next time? Everything we just mentioned. <laughs> We're talking about the 95th Academy Awards, the films of 2022, see above. Right. We're going to do our usual 5v5 bracket, talk about the losers in the first episode, the winners in the second. But mm-hmm. I think that that wraps us up for our season one stats episode. Yay! Very exciting. This has been a good time. Yeah, I feel like we've learned fun. a lot. We've had a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll take a little break after these two episodes and come back to you fresh and new in the meantime if you have comments questions or concerns reach out to us at oscars wrong pod at gmail.com we're on twitter and letterboxd at oscars wrong pod and our website is oscars wrong if you're enjoying the podcast tell a friend leave us a review and subscribe new episodes come out every other friday at six o'clock eastern wherever you get your podcasts 